You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for uh, having us today. And uh, thank you, Pastor Michael, for uh, inviting us. Um, it's an incredible blessing uh, for, for us to be here with you at Treasury Christ Church. And I'm going to share more of our story of our church night with you in just a moment. I'll say to start, we were uh, looking at moving back to Michigan from Phoenix. Uh, where we lived for 20 years. One of the things that I did was look up other churches in the area uh, that I believe were like-minded, and I quickly found TCC through a common network that our churches are both a part of that um, uh, Pastor Michael mentioned a minute ago, uh, the Pillar Network, and, uh, and I was excited to connect. And since we moved here, I had the privilege to, of meeting Michael and, uh, and got to spend some time with him with one of our other elders, Thomas, who's here today. Um, I actually met one of your church members before that, though, at the Pumpkin Fest in, in South Miami, are you that, is that person here? I was, I was here. What's that? Or is it a name? What's the name? Okay, yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. And so I mean, ran into her at Pumpkin Fest South Miami when she told us about our church. By the way, what a great thing. But she started telling me about her church within the first five minutes of me talking to her, which is really cool to see. And I said, hey, I know that church. I know what that church is. Um, and so we got to chat for a little bit, and then and then shortly after that, uh, Michael called me. We ended up together, and I I really enjoyed that time with him and hearing his heart for this church and for this area, uh, his love for for this church family and for uh, your city here was very evident. So when he asked if we would come worship with you all today and, and asked if I would preach and share about our church, that it was an easy yes. Um, but it's, it's my hope today uh, that that we experience together mutual gospel encouragement. That's what I'd like us to do today. Being here with your church family and you all are, you know, down the road of this planning journey a bit further than us. So being here with you and worshiping with you is a blessing to us, encourages us. Um, and I pray that as, as, as that us being here and, and you all hearing how God is raising up another church plant in kind of our corner of Michigan here um, would, would be an encouragement to you, to you as well. As God is going to bring glory for the good. Of the people in our community as well, so I hope that that's that's what is accomplished. And most importantly, um, it's my hope that we will be encouraged together by preaching God's word. So, first, though, briefly, I'd like to share with you the story of a mission trip. We thought that could be encouraging, not because of anything that's been about us, but because of what God um, is doing. And so, um, it really starts with a good friend of mine saying something crazy while we were tiling the bathroom floor in the living Phoenix, and the prayers of Angie. <laughs> so you will have, will have already met Angie, uh, and, and hopefully be here before we leave today. But about two and a half years ago, while we were living in Phoenix, uh, my good friend Clark said to me, we should plant a church in the Detroit area. And he said it just that randomly. And if you met Clark, he's out of town and he'd be here with us today. If you met Clark and you knew him at all, you would realize that's normal for Clark. Can somebody pass to that to me? Clark? randomly just saying, hey, we should do something. Most of the time, we're just like, yeah, whatever, we just move on with life. Okay, so he said to me when we were talking about that, we should plant a church in Detroit. Who lived in Phoenix? Okay? <laughs> and I said to him, no one wants to go there. 
That's what I said. Literally what I said. No one wants to do that. Um, and man, I just dismissed it. We moved out of life. Um, I grew up not too crazy far from here um, in Milford. My wife and I moved to Phoenix shortly after we got married. Um, we moved to Phoenix in 2002, and uh, we thought we would never live here again. It's just a true story. And we were in Phoenix at that, at that same church for, for nearly 20 years, and we loved it. I loved those people. And I never thought we would leave. But around that same time when Clark said that crazy thing to me about Detroit, my wife and I were helping her aunt and uncle, Judy and Ralph, we're here today, find a church. And secretly, Aunt Judy was praying that we'd come here. Isn't that true? She was secretly praying that we would move here. As a side note, if you have an aunt who loves Jesus and is willing to pray big prayers her whole life, I just take your notes say Just keep that in mind, all right? As we were helping them try to find a church, we were burdened with a need for more gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches in this area. There's statistics that I could warn you with. Uh, 9% of church, one evangelical church for 20,000 people. You probably heard those things before. But we were burdened with real people that we loved, areas that we loved. Then I ended up speaking to a denominational leader around this area very early in that process of guiding Wayne, and I asked him, what's going on with church planting? He said, no one wants to come here. It was the words that I said to my friend Clark, and he said, we should plant a church in the Detroit area. And God gripped my heart right then in that moment. Phoenix needs churches too. And planters are coming to Phoenix all the time. And they're doing a great job. And it's neat and it's wonderful. Not as popular to come to Michigan. I can't imagine why, right? <laughs> So we had that conversation. He said, we, we pray for conversations like this. That's what we told him. So I talked to my wife, and secretly I was hoping that she would say no way, but she said yes. Then I thought about it some more, and I thought about all the church planners that I had met, and how they cooler than me, and how they were super like entrepreneurial. None of those things were me. And I said, I can't. I had my own Moses moment. Like I gave all the excuses to God. I can't do this. I need help. I can't do that. I can't do it. No way. And so you know what I did? I went to Clark, <laughs> the guy who said, we should plan. I said, were you serious about that? He said, yes. And him and his family committed to moving with us to start planting churches. Who does that? Crazy. Crazy people. And then there's another friend that I had named Thomas. He was an elder at our church, and I wanted to talk to him about pastoring that church when we left. And right before that, I had before I had that conversation with him, his wife told my wife that they were hoping to move here and plant the church. So Thomas and I talked, and that conversation went very differently than the way I originally planned. I shared with him that there was a need not just to plant one church, but a bunch of churches. And when all was said and done, we determined that God was calling us here to glorify God, make disciples, and plant churches. And as Michael shared, we're starting in New Hudson. We plan to start services in April, April 2nd. And God will let us. And uh, a bunch of our, our families moved here this past summer. We've been studying God's word together and finding different ways to engage in our community and grow our community. <clears throat> by God's grace, we've seen fruit in all of those experience. God has been very gracious to us and opened up some incredible opportunities and relationships with people in our community. He's connected us with leaders in our community that has opened up doors for us to serve in that area and even to be a part of planning um, events in that community. God has been good. He's grown our core team. 
other people that God has brought to us to, to join us in this adventure. So we're very excited to see what God is going to do. So, thank you for praying for us today, and I hope that you continue to pray for us, uh, that God will draw people to himself and use us to faithfully proclaim the truth of the gospel that he's called us. Um, so, if it's okay with you, I'd like to pray for us again uh, as, we, as we get ready to dive into God's work together. We're going to be in first, first, two, second, it's five. When I get there in your Bibles, so we're going to pray together. We'll dive into God's word. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, God, for uh, treasuring Christ's church and, and the heart they have and the, uh, Lord, the passion they have to reach this area for the gospel and to partner with churches, uh, partner with other churches to get them started and planted. We thank you for that heart, for that, that um, attitude of kingdom mindedness. Lord, that we are together, we work together, we're on the same team, that we're, we do this together for your glory. We're not in competition. We, 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 are, we are churches where we, we want to see the same things happen. So thank you for that spirit of, of cooperation and, and uh, that spirit of prayer and passion to see the gospel go out in the other parts of this state, in the country, and the world. I thank you for that. I pray that as we turn to your word this morning, that you would help us, that you'd help us to see your truth and help us to understand it. And Lord, most important, that you help us to respond to your truth in obedience today. We ask for these things. We ask that you would encourage us with your truth, that you would, Lord, raise us up, build us up in obedience to your word. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what your motivation should be for sharing the gospel with other people. What your motivation should be. What should drive us. What can change a person from somebody who doesn't often share the gospel into a person who shares the gospel all the time? What makes that happen? Now, while God can use trainings or events or programs for his good, and I, I really believe he can, I don't think most people who share the gospel a lot would say that a certain training or event or program is what did the trick. And if we're honest, if, if, if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you know well enough that every Christian is supposed to share the gospel with them. You know that, right? You know that we're supposed to do that. So it's probably not that we don't hear it enough from teaching and preaching. I'm sure my encourages you guys to do it all the time, yeah? To share the gospel, yes. So we're supposed to be about. He did it already today. We say about it today. So it's not that we're not reminded enough. And while learning how to share the gospel is very important for most, it's not that we don't know enough. And while excitement is fun, I don't think it's that we're not hyped up enough. Because even if we were able to conjure up some serious hype, we all know that hype doesn't last. We're going to start today by looking at the reason that the Apostle Paul gives for persuading people with the truth of the gospel. And then we'll see the mission that we've been given in light of that motivation. If you are an organized note taker, I'm going to lay out the structure for you. If that's helpful to you, I like that, so I like to do that. We're going to have two shots. We're going to have gospel motivation and then gospel mission. Two subpoints for the first one, three for the second one. All right, gospel motivation and gospel mission. Second Corinthians 5, we're going to start at verse 11. Second Corinthians 5, verse 11. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 
We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, might, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. So first, gospel motivation. If you look at that first verse that we just read in verse 11. You see that? It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, right? Referring back to something else. Because we know the fear of the Lord, because we know that, we persuade others. So the first thing that, that the first part of Paul's motivation is fear of the Lord. Then the verses right before this, Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. We don't have time to dig into all of that, but we must know this. He's talking about Christians appearing before Christ one day. We will not be judged for our sin because Christ died for our sin, but we will give an account to our Savior with what we've done with our lives. This passage says, in the body, in this life right now. And Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I don't know about you, but when we talk about motivation to share the gospel, maybe the first thing you think of is being afraid or fearing the Lord. We're going to unpack this a little bit. He said, because of that, therefore, because of the fear of the Lord, and Paul says, knowing that fear causes me to persuade others. Paul is motivated by the fear of the Lord. He knew that there would one day be judgment. He knew that one day he would stand before Christ and give an account of what he had done with what he had been given. So the point here is Paul cared deeply about what God thinks. He cared deeply about what God thinks. He desired for his life lived out in the body, this life right now, to be one that would be rewarded by his Savior one day. His, his mindset is that one day God would look at what they had done and say, and say, that's good. What you did with what I gave you, you used it for me, you used it for my Lord. He, he desired for his life lived out in this life, now in this body, will be rewarded by his Savior. I want to make sure that we understand the fear of the Lord rightly, but I definitely don't want, I, I don't want to soften it either. Paul was not afraid of losing his salvation. He was not afraid of health or anything like that. And in verse 9 of this chapter, he said, So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. He knew that one day he would be with his Savior. And he said, Either way, my aim is to please him. His fear of the Lord was to live in such a way that did not fall short of all that God had given him, to not take for granted what the Lord had done. What we do with our rewards in heaven after, after this life, anyway, what do we do with them? We're rewarded in heaven. The Bible tells us that we lay them at the feet of Jesus. 
So anything that we do for him, for his word, for, for that aim, we're going to just lay it at his feet to all live with the knowledge of this reality at the core of who he was. It motivated him to persuade others. Others that he knew would also one day face judgment as well. See, Paul lived with eternity in mind, knowing that this, this life right now is ultimately just a blip on the radar. We don't have time to mess around. We want to use the life that he's given us now for his purposes, for his glory. Jonathan Edwards wrote that he prayed like this. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's the kind of magic, the kind of mindset that Paul is talking about here. This, this was so foundational for Paul that it was totally, he was totally resolved in this life to proclaim the gospel no matter what. No matter how he might suffer, no matter how he might what he might lose as a result, no matter what others thought of him, because what God thinks matters more to him than anything else. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. There were some in Corinth that were most likely listening to some who were discrediting Paul because he was always suffering and often didn't have much because he preached for free. And it seemed that there were people there, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth and, 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 and talking about these things, it seemed that there were, there were some who were being persuaded by that, or at least were listening at some level. He said, boast about what is in my heart, defend me by my pure motives. I'm not trying to get rich off people, I'm not trying to use for other, other kinds of gain, other kinds of, of motivations. And I'm certainly, he said, I'm certainly not living for their approval. I'm living to please my Savior. Verse 13, he says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Kind of a strange sentence. But here's the idea. If people think I'm crazy, Paul said, I'm fine with that. I'm good. If people think I'm nuts because of how people think that, that I'm crazy because I, I put such a, a high value on living my life for, for Christ and for, his, for, for what he he thinks it's important, I'm fine with that. I'm fine if people think I'm crazy. If people get it, he says, I'm good with that. If I see my right mind to you, that's because you get it and you benefit from what I'm doing for God. So these first he verses, I think we can do so by saying, all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Paul says, my motivation is that it's all for you. I fear him, not people. I persuade people because I care about what God thinks and what's important to him more than anything else. It's all for him, come what may, so it's all for God. So that, that motivation would start with, it's all for God's glory. And then secondly, it's controlled by the love of Christ. Controlled by the love of Christ, in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for, for him, who for their sake died and was raised. Some translations say, the love of Christ compels us. That's good too, but the word is so strong. It carries with it the idea of constraining. Christ's love for us and what that means for us is so overwhelming that it has completely changed us. It is so much grace, it is so undeserved in all of these things. This love for Christ controls, constrains us to see things 
differently. It changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we direct our lives. All of those things. is sacrifice for us means that we can never live for ourselves again. How could we? How could we possibly live for ourselves in light of what Christ has done? He gave all for us. How could we take such a beautiful grace, such a transforming love, and live for our own agenda? And so his life constrains, controls, compels us to live a certain way. He says, Christ died, and so you die. Who you were is dead, and now you live because Christ lives. So if you live not for yourself, but for the one who died for you and was raised, that is gospel motivation. Because of what Christ has done for you, you live a certain way. The fear of the Lord, the glory of God, and the love of Christ demonstrated by his death and resurrection. It does these things. It causes something in us to change. What does it cause in us? So we see that's this gospel mission that we've been given. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> because we live for God above all else, we fear him, not people, because we are driven or controlled, constrained by the love of Christ. First of all, he says, see people rightly. See people rightly. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, the way you look at people changes. We don't look at people, we don't regard people according to the flesh. He says, what does that mean? We don't just see people from a worldly or earthy perspective. We don't look at people as if this life is all that there is, right? How could it be? We have eternity in mind. Paul said, he, 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 has, he said, therefore, he's in fear of God. He said, no, one day I'm going to stand before him and before I face eternity. Because of that reality, I can't look at people the same way. We don't look at people as if this life is all there is. We know there is eternity. We know there will one day be judgment. We know that we will spend eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that those who reject us will spend eternity suffering and punishment for sin and hell. So we know that, that that is a reality. We know that we live for a kingdom that is not our own. We know that what is temporal is passing away. So we see people with an eternal perspective rather than a fleshy, worldly perspective. We understand all the consequences of that reality. Paul lived all for the glory of God, that meant living for others. Because he understood so well that what God thinks matters most. 
He understood that not living for self, but living for Jesus also means living for the sake of others. And of course it does, right? Jesus lived for others. He gave his life for us. So we live for others and we give our lives for the sake of others. So when you don't live like this, when I don't live like this, right, we need the next thing as a reminder. We need the next thing to help us stay on track, which is the second, so we're going to do the second category we're going to look at gospel mission is to remember our salvation. Remember your salvation. Verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You are in Christ as if you are new. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. It's gone. It's dead. The new has come. Has it arrived all the way yet? Is it perfect? Is, are we in the new heavens and new earth? No. That's, that's not there yet. It, it's, it's, but it, it's, it's not there yet. And truly still awaits, but it's as good as done. It's as good as done because God said, the old is passed away, the new, the new heavens and new earth are as good as done because God always does what he says for okay. And we live for that kingdom. That's where we're headed. That is, that, is, that is what we live for. That is what we are a part of. When we forget that, we live for the here and now. When we forget that, we live for temporal things that don't matter. We live for things that aren't nearly as important as God's glory. When we remember it, we live for Jesus what matters most to him. And what does looking for Jesus look like right now? That's our last thing. And live out the mission. Live out the mission. Look at verse 18 again. 18 to 21. All this, he says, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We glory on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled. All of this, he says, is from God. He brought us to himself. We were rebels against him in our sin. We were against God and the enemies of God. He reconciled us to himself through the atoning work of Christ's death. We say about it today how God's wrath was satisfied in Christ on the cross. He did that for us. He brought us to him. And now he has given us this ministry or this mission of reconciliation. We're called to join in this activity of reconciling people to God. So we are ambassadors, it says, for Christ. We understand that term, right? We understand the idea of being ambassadors, of representing a place somewhere else on foreign soil. Right? A U.S. ambassador in some other country is representing the United States in that other place. He says, that's what you are. You represent another kingdom in this place. You re- represent life for Christ. You represent living for him forever. You represent that where you are right now in a place that is not ultimately where you're going to be. We are here for Christ. We represent him. And we have a message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel. And and verse 20 says that God makes his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to to, to those who need to hear the gospel. He makes that appeal to those who need Jesus through us. I want you to think about the weight of that statement. When we implore and persuade all these things that Paul is talking about in this passage, 
And we make that appeal to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and the people that God has put in our, in our lives and our influence. It is on behalf of Christ. It is what we are here for. When we speak the gospel, when you speak the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, when you do that, it is God making that appeal to those who need him. That is huge. What a weight, what a, what a powerful responsibility, what a beautiful privilege that God makes his appeal through us when we speak the gospel. It's what we're here for. And what is that message? Paul sums it all up in a nutshell in verse 21. It says, for our sake, here it is. He says, here's the message. Here's what you speak. Here's your appeal that you make. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful message. Why wouldn't you be excited about sharing it, right? So it's my prayer that today we would be encouraged by the motivation that Paul gives us in Scripture that we have before us to be a people who see the weight of our responsibility, to see that we are to be about reconciling people to Christ, that we are called to be used for that purpose. I want to ask you to, by our as we pray, and ask God to, to work on us today.